right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Gators, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. You can find him at Demetrius82. We are recording here on a Thursday night, and you ready for the weekend. You'll be listening to this on Friday. We prepare for the last weekend without Gators football, a two-weekend stretch without it as the Gators have dealt with COVID. As we've been going through that break, we've been breaking down each position on the team. Uh, right now, we're going to do the tight ends and offensive line tonight, send you into the weekend, finishing off the offense. And then we're going to finish up the show because that'll be a two-segment part, talking about the Gators' schedule as they're getting ready to uh, play Missouri to restart their season, what the rest of the season will look like as we're through four games of SEC action across the rest of the league. So, you know, I said it the other night with, quarterbacks we started that segment and i said all we got to talk about is kyle trask he's good that's the end of the show good night i can say the same thing about kyle pitts can i demetrius absolutely this um this is probably the easiest breakdown besides the quarterback position that we've had and it really is a testament to how good kyle kyle pitts has been this year it's almost insane how much he's evolved into a true tight end not necessarily just a big wide receiver playing tight end, but this year you can really see how his development has just increased. He's able to run block a lot better. He's able to get in line. He's physical. He'll attack the football. He makes insane catches. I mean, he's a red zone monster. I mean, this guy is probably the best tight end in college football easily, especially without Pat playing from uh, Penn State, or they haven't they haven't gotten ready to play yet, but. It's, it's, it's obvious to me. I mean, he's the highest-graded player in college football, according to Pro Football Focus, with a 95.5. He's been near elite in every category that I've seen. Eighteen or 17 receptions, 274 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> if you ended the season today, I, I would be hard-pressed to say that Kyle Pitts won't go in the top 15, 20 picks. Oh, and without a doubt. He I totally go. agree. Yeah. And the only reason he might not go in the top 10 is because, you know, obviously it's the NFL. Tight ends usually don't go. TJ Hawkinson was a special, uh, whatever you want to say, figure or however. You know, he he went top 10, yeah, but now that people have seen him play, they're like, "Eh, maybe not a tight tight end in the top 10. That's just kind of how it rolls. But, yeah, Kyle Pitts has been everything that the Gators have wanted and more, and that connection between him and Kyle Trask has been evolving over over the weeks and I think that we're going to continue to see it over the next seven games yeah I completely agree with you we don't even really have much else to talk about with the tight end position the only other guys that are getting meaningful playing time are sophomore uh Keon Zipper and uh veteran Kamori Gamble Gamble having 48 offensive snaps this year and Zipper having 13 doing a lot more special teams They've come in, they both caught a pass as part of the distribution uh, distribution of the offense, but it's been the pitch show. I mean, he's coming in, he's dominating. I talk about it all the time. He's just a dominant receiver at the tight end position. He's winning, he's beating press co- coverage like a boundary receiver. You know, superb violence with his hands to get off of contact, get off of bumps and runs, and he's able to separate with you know, a really great jab step into the middle of the field, working outside, that's gotten a lot cleaner. It's just, they said it coming into the year, and, you know, it's hard to believe coaches when they say this, but I've watched enough football to where I don't think there's anyone, at least in college, that could cover him. NFL, 
You know, he's going to have to grow, of course, as he gets into the NFL and gets used to it. But give him a year or two, and it's going to be the same thing in the NFL. Like, how many guys do you think could go one-on-one against someone like that as a matured, polished NFL player? I don't think many guys at all, even in the NFL, could cover this guy. And 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 you've seen that in the tight ends that are playing in the NFL right now, like Darren Waller with the Oakland Raiders, or excuse me, the Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, they've changed cities so many times, and I just get confused. But you see those types of tight ends who are more of a receiver mold, a big receiver mold who can just get down the field. They're so fast. They're so big. They're so physical. And teams aren't going to be putting their number one cornerbacks on them very often. Why would you when you have wide receivers to cover? You can't put a Jalen Ramsey on a Kyle Pitts because, you know, all of a sudden now you're going to have somebody else out there who's going to be burning the third corner on the team. You have to put your safeties. You have to bracket with linebackers. You have to do everything. And if he's going to be taking that much attention away, imagine him in an NFL offense just taking attention away in the red zone. I mean, I think in an NFL offense, teams will have to put their Jalen Ramseys on him, even if they have to put a third corner outside. Like, Kyle Pitts is the most dangerous weapon on a team. You might, but say he goes to New Orleans with the Saints and Michael Thomas is on that outside and you have Kyle Pitts in the middle. I mean, what are you going to do? You're just going to take the L at some point, I guess. But it's going to be interesting to see how, how NFL teams use him I see him being used sort of in a Mark Andrews role as well. Just just those Darren Waller, Mark Andrews kind of type of tight ends where they're big, physical. They're not these lumbering guys. They're not these guys who are going to be blockers every single down. They're going to be guys who are going to actually put in effort in the blocking game, but they're going to be primarily receiving tight ends. And it's a passing league. You have to have a receiving tight end in order to succeed, and many teams do not have that. So a commodity coming into the draft and – just excited to see how, how he does. What do you want to see from the rest of the group? Uh, we talked about Gamble, Zipper, maybe freshman Jonathan Odom. Uh, Lang is Dante Lang's over at defensive end now, so I don't seriously doubt he'd be a factor unless there were a bunch of injuries that popped up or something at the position. But what do you want to yeah, see Lang, from those guys? Yeah, Lang would probably go in after a couple of injuries. You're right about that. But yeah, I feel like tight ends coach Tim Brewster told us, you know. We're going to see a lot of guys who are going to step up to the plate. And he spoke highly of Gamble. He was really excited about his his veteran tight end. You know, he thought he was going to come in and be this, not Kyle Pitts, but, you know, he was going to be somebody who's going to demand targets eventually. And maybe he will. Maybe if Kyle gets an injury or he has to take a few breathers or whatever it may be, he might come in and, and provide some help. But I think for the most part, you're seeing what you should see out of those guys as blockers. You're seeing what you should see out of those guys as receivers, even if they're not getting the ball, just in terms of how they take away guys. The Gators offense doesn't use multiple tight end sets very often. They're, you know, they have three wide receivers, four wide receivers on the so much room. They have a running back usually. It's really difficult to do that. But in the future, you might see some zippier ac- action. You might see some gamble action in the red zone. You might see a bunch of stuff. I mean, they haven't really had that many games to show us what they got, but Tim Brewster's really excited about all three of his guys. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when I, um, before I started covering Florida and got to keep in mind, I'm a young guy. I didn't get to watch Florida as in depth as I do now when during the Tebow days or even before then. But as I've grown up, I remember them having tight ends that are more like flex guys, H back six foot three, six foot four, move them into the backfield. Deandre Goolsby, Jordan Reed, Trey Burton, those types of guys. 
now Tim Brewster and Larry Scott, when he was here, they're recruiting big guys. Pitts, Odom, uh, the next class, Nick Elksness and Gage Wilcox are both 6'5", 6'6". And they're guys that are going to fill out. So I'm excited to see these true matchup nightmares come in at tight end for Florida, unlike we've seen in the recent past. When we move on, uh, next we're going to be talking about the offensive line, what we've seen out of the unit so far, out of the five that have played. What we want to see when they hit the field coming back, perhaps there will be a player rejoining the unit. The question is, is, is there room for him? Where can he step in, and where can the line go from here after these messages? What's up, everyone? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Lockdown Gators podcast. And I'll tell you what, being a sports journalist, doing what I do every day, I do need a lot of energy. I'm a guy that's always drank coffee, but recently it's just not been getting it done for me in order for me to break through my wall, which is why I've been going towards Built Go as a replacement for any other energy drink because it's a lot more healthy. It's brought to you by the same folks that brought us Built Bar, my favorite protein bar that we've talked about plenty here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's great because not only does Built Go bring you energy, but it also gives you protein. It's also loaded with vitamins uh, such as B6 and B12, 10,000% of your daily value, and other great things, including collagen protein that's fast-absorbing to get into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on your stomach when you've got a long day ahead, filled with work where you really need this energy. comes in three great flavors, my favorite being the peanut butter honey. It's got a kick of caffeine, and it's only 1.5 ounces in each package. So it's easy to carry around, easy to take with you whenever you need it. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Let's break through those walls. Do you guys ever feel as though you're always on? Don't you want just a moment to relax and chill? It's been difficult this year, especially with everything going on, social issues, and the expectations to be on 24-7 with families and friends. Sometimes you need a breather, and especially with the Gators this season, it can be stressful. That's why Coors Light is the perfect cold one to open up. Saturdays are a time to chill, watching Florida football and relaxing with Coors Light that's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, literally made to chill. I personally love the refreshing taste. It makes me chill out, relax a little bit, and enjoy the day. I know one thing. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in a new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly with Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So for the most part, we can say that the offensive line has definitely taken a step up this year. There's still some parts where they're lacking. We want to see where Ethan White fits in when he gets back because he was a projected starter, supposed to be a starter entering the year, according to Dan Mullen. So, you know, when he gets into the fold, we'll need to see where they fit him in, if they even feel like they need to at this point with how well the line's been performing. Yeah, the, the offensive line has kept Kyle Trask on his feet. They haven't made him dirty too often. I believe they've only given up five sacks. I think that this is kind of a step up in, in the right direction. I know that last year the major concern was on was in the run game, but they haven't run the football too much, so I can't really tell exactly how far they progressed there. But you can see there's a clear difference with Stuart Reese in the lineup. He's a big, lumbering guy. He can get He can get after it. I mean... If you have that much power on the offensive line, then that's that's always going to be a good thing. So he, he's going to be able to provide some holes, and he's continued to do that. I believe that 
having Brett Heggie there at center has solidified the offensive line very well, even though Ethan White was supposed to be the center and then potentially Heggie at guard or whatever sort of combination you want to envision or imagine for the Gators, you know, they, they had to scrap it right before the season because Ethan White got injured. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward and whether or not they're going to continue to use this set of line, even when Ethan White returns, or if they're going to just reconfigure it on the go. I mean, it's kind of difficult to do that because the chemistry that's already been built or being built, it, it, it kind of impacts how the offensive line plays, the quarterback plays, how the tight ends play the, the, the blocking game. It's, it's just a little bit difficult to just throw a guy in there and change it up right away. But you never know. I mean, if they don't feel as though Gene DeLance is playing that well, then maybe they can change it up and try to get something better in there. But for now, I think that the offensive line has played phenomenally in terms of from where they were last year to this year. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. Now, Gene DeLance has definitely been the sore spot. He's a lot of 11 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. The next closest, I believe, being Stuart Reese with seven. The remaining three guys all allowing three, so one per game. It's been a good unit, but Demetrius, if you were to pencil Ethan White in as soon as he was healthy, how would you reshuffle things? Well, I mean, if you put Ethan White in at center, and then I guess you would have to move Heggy to left guard, you can maybe move Richard out to right tackle and then keep Stone at left tackle or even switch it around, have Richard playing left tackle, Stone out at right tackle. I mean, th- there's so many different ways you can do that. Maybe you can see Braun at some point in a guard. But at the end of the day, I think that that would probably be the best sort of reconfiguration. But but like I said, it, it's difficult to say because, you know, if you put Ethan White there at center, you're going to have to reshuffle so much. Are they going to be willing to do that four weeks into the season two weeks off. I mean, you got seven games to go. It's going to be really difficult for you to actually do it. But, I mean, if they have to, if they feel like Gene DeLance isn't playing as well as he needs to play, then you might have to do that reconfiguration. And I feel like Stuart Reese has allowed the seven pressures, but I don't think that he's been the sore spot on the offensive line, if there is a sore spot. He hasn't been the guy who you're pointing to like, oh, I can't believe that he just made, he just missed that block. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't think of when he's actually really gotten badly beaten truth be told i mean maybe a couple of pressures where he gets pushed back a little which maybe they're not expecting out of a dude that's as big as he is but i mean i've seen him pull across the formation to stunt uh, stop stunting pressures and pick up things while process things and then swiftly finish blocks in protection yeah the only the only time i've really noticed him in a bad light was when I believe it was week two against South Carolina. It might have been week two. I don't remember exactly. But him and Gene were playing kind of a stunt. And I think Gene messed up or it, it, one of them messed up. And then the, the the guy just went straight through to, to Kyle. So I don't think that it's necessarily all Stuart Reese's fault. It might not necessarily be all Gene's fault. But at, at the end of the day, you have to figure out that combination. You have to make sure that they're on the same page. And I think that that just grows with time. I mean, the chemistry takes a while for the offensive line to figure out, and they didn't have a spring. I don't believe that that was the configuration they were playing with during most of the fall. So, I mean, maybe it would be an ideal path to try to get Ethan White back in the lineup. Maybe you have to put him in and see what they can do with him and how they were originally going to configure it if they don't feel like the offensive line is playing as the best of their ability. I, I would think that that's what you want to do just with Gene. I mean, you've seen him in the past. He's a veteran player. I think he's a fourth or fifth-year guy. 
a transfer who didn't work out at Texas and he wasn't that good here last year. You know White's a capable starter. He was earning playing time as a freshman. And I think you got to get your best five out there. That could make it even better. That could correct even your smallest of mistakes or improve your run game just enough to where you balance things out even more. It could be that one missing piece. Yeah, I, I, I just really want to see them continue to actually do use the run game. I mean, I think that that's been the missing piece in this equation the entire season is that true. they haven't run the ball very often. I mean, when you got guys like Damian Pierce running 11 times per game or however many times per game he's yeah, running, it's just even that. Yeah, if it's even that, it's, it's it's kind of frustrating to watch, even just as a normal spectator or as a media member, as a fan, anything. You're just like, I can't really evaluate these guys because they haven't really shown it at all because perhaps they've been missing the run game because of uh, Emory Jones being out. Perhaps it's because of how explosive this passing offense has been. Why even run? But you got to find that balance. And we, we've talked about that over and over, but I really feel like in order to get a full evaluation of this offensive line, we have to see more runs. And they're going to have to prove it throughout the season as they grind out the yards. Last year, while Chris Bleich was still here, Richard Gorage was stepping up as a sixth offensive lineman and getting playing time. Uh, Ethan White did the same thing when Bleich left uh, and stepped up, started a game when Brett Hagee wasn't able to play. I believe it was Hagee. One way or another, White did start one game, and he was technically the sixth offensive lineman through the year. We have not seen any other offensive lineman than the starting five this year. So when White's back, we know they'll have an elig- a good veteran capable sixth offensive lineman that by that point but i want to see someone else step up whether it's a second or third year player uh tj moore michael tarquin uh always mess this up at kingsley Iguacon, i believe i should be i should know this is the gators host but come on guys cut me some slack uh maybe a freshman i would love to see joshua braun i think he's always been a guy that should be capable of playing early on you know uh, they should at least in games like maybe vanderbilt have one of these young guys come in and get some garbage time snaps at the very least to have them prepared for if someone went down. Yeah. And Josh Braun actually played tennis, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He went to States yeah, so, in doubles. <laughs> right. So there you go. He, he's an athletic guy, obviously. I mean, he's a huge guy. And, and I remember seeing a picture of him playing tennis and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> how does, how does he get you, to go out there and the play video? Tennis? Because it was impressive. He, looked, yeah. he was a good player. He'd beat me. He was actually good, and I don't even play tennis, but I know that as soon as I get my, as soon as I get out on that court, I'd be winded. Maybe in the first set, I would, I, I cannot do it. So for him to be able to go out there and play tennis, it's a credit to his conditioning. It's a credit to his he athletic ability. It's just six foot six, three hundred fifty six pounds, according to UF. At least when he enrolled, maybe they've updated that, but yeah, insane, insane. So I mean, what are they gonna do if you're gonna if you're gonna have somebody like Braun come in there? I mean. I just, I just kind of want to see him. He's so he's so athletic. He's so nimble, clearly, and he can just get out there and power people through. I know that this isn't really the time to, you know, project super much or, or you know, experiment a lot. But like Zach said, if you're going to be going in a game against Vanderbilt or something, you maybe you do pull it out. Who knows? Talking about Vanderbilt, talking about the rest of the Gators' schedule after we come back from these messages, because when Florida comes back, they're going to have to shake off for us pretty quickly. You get a little tough. There could be some trap games coming up after the Missouri game. Florida is set to play Missouri on Halloween. That's their first action back after a couple weeks off with a COVID outbreak. They follow that up in Jacksonville for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I wouldn't anticipate much of a party this year due to obvious reasons. 
They'll follow that up with a game against old quarterback, Florida quarterback Felipe Franks in the, not red hot, but, you know, speaking comparatively to what Arkansas normally looks like, red hot Arkansas Razorbacks. Then they'll have Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU, the postponed game to finish off the season for potentially the SEC championship on December 19th. Not the easiest schedule to finish things off, especially, luckily it's Missouri of all teams that they're going to be shaking off the rust against. Still, it's just, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, we talked about this yesterday and the the idea of having players take off two weeks, three weeks if you count, you know, from game to game and just going right back out there and performing well. I mean, this is clearly a game that's not going to be as simple as it seems. Even though it's at Ben Hill, it's not going to be one of those things where you can just get in there and, and destroy the team and get out. You know, when you first looked at the schedule, this was supposed to be a game where you get off of Texas A&M, potentially have won, but, you know, we know that they didn't. LSU, and then right. you play a Missouri team, and you're like, okay, we can get right. You know, LSU, we're right. about to... Oh, LSU. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. LSU, sorry. Hey, listen, it's Every, easy to be get confused right now. I, I just want to everything, make sure. Everything's getting postponed. It's the same way, applies, though. LSU was going to be a tough game, so. Yeah, right. So, like, LSU was going to be a tough game, and then you get to go and play Missouri, and that and that's supposed to be your game right before the bye week, and then you play Georgia. And that's that's sort of why the schedule was sort of favorable when you think about it from, from a Gators football perspective. But then... But now that's gotten postponed, now you're not really exactly sure what's going to happen. You play Missouri, and then right after that, you play Georgia. I mean, that's just it's, – it's a frustrating schedule if you're Dan Mullen and the Gators football team, but there's nothing they can do. This couldn't have been predicted, not in the way that it occurred, at least. It was kind of the worst – almost the worst timing that they could have had in terms of when they want to play, who, and where, and things like that. So – it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not sure how they're going to perform against Missouri, but, you know, they play Georgia right after, and then, like Zach said, they play Arkansas, who's 2-2, two and two, and they don't look as bad as we thought they were going to look. I mean, coming into the season, if you would have told me that Arkansas would be a trap game, I would have laughed. This yeah, is not a too. trap game. That's a, that's a cupcake. They looked like yeah. one of the most impressive teams in the SEC, again, comparatively to what we thought they'd be. We thought they'd be an 0-10 team. 0-10. We thought they would be basically Vanderbilt, where, like, you know, it's going to be an easy layup game. Don't worry about it. But you know who they have? They have Felipe Franks, who <laughs> this guy, I mean, he's 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 looked good, honestly. Uh, 82 for 128, 974 yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. I mean, that's not bad. That's not something where you're sitting there like, oh, man, I don't know exactly what Felipe Franks is going to have. And then they take out the sack yards for whatever reason. So he has 42 rushes for 65 yards right now. I'm sure that that's a little bit misleading, but... We know that Franks can run. I remember very clearly in that Texas A&M Florida game in 2017 how far he ran. He should have gotten to the end zone. He didn't. But it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they play against their former quarterback. Right, Zach? Yeah, without a doubt. And what's really a good team, it definitely is a trap game. But what's good for Florida is, yes, it's a tough stretch. Missouri is not a tough game, but it is tough considering the circumstances. Then Georgia, then Arkansas. But in between that and then the stretch of taking on Kentucky, which is a Another good team. Not not great, but good team at home at Tennessee, then closing the season at home against LSU with no bye week between that and a potential SEC championship game. They've got to be happy 
that in between those two three-game stretches is a game at Vanderbilt where hopefully you'd think against a team like Vanderbilt's been, if Florida's completely recovered from COVID, they can just potentially stomp a team, get some sort of momentum in between those two stretches. You have to. This is a Vanderbilt team that hasn't really looked very competitive besides from the week one when they lost only 17-12 to 12 to Texas A&M. And that was Even when that Texas wasn't A&M was really competitive. It just looked like Texas A&M might have been a bad team. It was just a bad, you know, a bad day. It was the it was the opening week weekend, so you can't really knock Texas A&M for that. They they got they got the job done, and that's probably all they care about. Since then, they've been blown out both games, forty one to seven to LSU and South Carolina, who you know obviously the Gators have beaten. So and they had a game <laughs> postponed, and and they had a game postponed. And the thing is. Vanderbilt doesn't it's not going to be it's not going to pose a threat this isn't a trap game this is a game that it should be a cupcake it should be one of those games where you're like oh yeah Georgia Southern's on the schedule pretty much the same thing oh an 0-3 team Florida shouldn't have any trouble against them now (laughs) I cannot wait until they're playing them and they're losing or something somebody replays this or or sends me this audio clip and they're like yeah a cupcake huh I mean (laughs) but it it really should be and (laughs) I'm gonna enjoy that game with cupcakes that spell out Demetrius Hey, just hit up um, Derek Wingo's mom. She makes some good cupcakes out here. Yeah, that's the I, word. I think we did a story on That's the word around yeah, town. I, I mean, still haven't gotten to try them yet, but I plan on it. Yeah, I'm, I haven't been able to make it down there. But, I mean, yeah, so they're going to play Arkansas, which is a team that, you know, especially coming off of a Georgia Bulldogs game, that, that's the biggest issue. So they're coming off of a game in which the Gators are going to put their heart and soul. They're going to put everything they got. Dan Mullen is probably going to grind them on the practice field as hard as he's ever had in his whole entire career or his tenure here, especially after they beat Missouri, if they beat Missouri. And that's going to be the game that they put all their energy out into. And then they'll play Arkansas. And that's like me and Zach said, it could be a potential trap game because of how well they've been playing, but Zach's right. Vanderbilt. And then they play Kentucky that that should be a good, easy transition. And then they play Tennessee who's struggled. And then if that LSU game does get played, that's tough. I mean, I know the LSU has struggled this year, but they haven't struggled that much to where it's going to be one of those games where it's an easy affair. It's going to be pretty much offense versus offense, and then you have to go into the SEC championship game if they're there right after it. So it's not an easy schedule. The Gators are going to have to play this as if they're 0-0 and, and, and they have a seven-game schedule, and they're just going to have to go out there and compete. And ultimately, it's not going to – it's not going to be easy. We knew coming in this SEC SEC only schedule was not going to be an easy cupcake schedule anymore. They're not going to have played Georgia Southern. They're not going to play FAU and all those games. Just is what it is. I am looking forward to that LSU game, offense for offense uh, versus offense to finish the season. It will be very very exciting. A lot of points. That's what I'm looking forward to. Now, uh, that, should, uh, that should pretty much do it for today's episode of Locked On Gators. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review, and follow us just about anywhere. Uh, you can subscribe to the show anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and you can find us on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, at Demetrius82, and at Locked On Gators. We'll catch up with you guys next time, next week, as we're going into the weekend now. Uh, we'll be getting ready for Gators football to return against Missouri on Halloween.